Digital Drummer magazine was started in Brisbane, Australia around 10 years ago and soon rose to prominence as the foremost online publication for those of us with a healthy interest in electronic drums. Alan Leibovitz, the editor, has similarly risen from little-known Australian e-drum journalist to globally respected industry advisor. Alan and I first met at NAMM in Los Angeles a few years back when we literally bumped into each other whilst going to see a demo, and we haven't stopped talking yet. Alan kindly agreed to join me on this podcast to talk about how and why he started the magazine, the state of the retail and e-drum industries, and some of his favourite products from the last few years, as well as why some drummers just have a block when it comes to technology. You're listening to the eDrumInfo.com podcast, making your experience with electronic drums that much easier. Hi, Alan. How are you? I'm very well, Simon. It's uh, very strange to be talking to you when we're not surrounded by 10,000 drummers and 100,000 hangers-on. Well, the only times we've ever met has really been at uh, trade shows like NAM. Absolutely. And now we're talking, you are in Brisbane, I'm just outside London, and uh, yeah, it's it's the best sound quality we've ever had, I think. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if I'll be able to concentrate without the, the Gen 16 symbols smashing in the background, but let's see how we go. Right. So you are the, the, the subject of this podcast. Digital Drummer magazine sort of sneaked up on a lot of people. I'm, I'm in intrigued firstly before we sort of get onto the industry and the gear and all that sort of stuff how did you get into this I mean you're you're a journalist aren't you yeah that's right I'm a journalist and I'm a a drummer who uh, took a a break from drumming and then came back into it um, during my midlife crisis and that's partially uh, part of the reason how digital drummer came about because I was shopping around looking for an electronic drum kit, you know, living in suburbia with a family and trying to get back into drumming. And there really was very little information available about, you know, the, the mainstream offerings at that time, which admittedly were fairly slim. Yeah. Um, so, so I had to, you know, hit the drum stores and try out stuff and speak to ill-informed salespeople. I tried looking online and there were a couple of forums um, and they were also partisan, you know, they either, you know, loved one brand and everything else was rubbish or they were trolling uh, those sites and rubbishing everything that everybody else was saying and there was a lot of opinion about product that hadn't yet been released and um, you know I, I was just overwhelmed by the volume of ill information and and you know just poor stuff out there even the mainstream publications you know I read a review in one of the respected drum magazines which tested a pad set with a module that didn't exist I mean it just got the name of the module wrong so you know, I was really frustrated and having gone through the process and trying to educate myself about the product decided that I would start looking at it seriously and I began playing the gear and speaking to the distributors and started to do reviews first with the kind of generalist music magazine in Australia. And then I progressed from there to the drumming magazine in Australia. And then I did a a review for one of the leading US drum magazines. And that process in itself was a bit frustrating because, you know, they're so pressured by the commercial interests of their advertisers that I was just not comfortable with the way that whole review process went. Um, there are some horror stories which I won't go into. I might been a business journalist, done automotive reviews, so you know all kinds of cars from cheapies to the latest Jaguar. I'd done other technology reviews, cameras and recording equipment and that sort of thing. So I decided, well, you know, I know what needs to be done. It's not being done. So I did some research. This was around about the end of 2009. I spoke to drummers. I spoke to retailers and manufacturers. And I got a whole lot of encouragement, um, which was good. And I got a lot of advice about what to do. And I was very fortunate to get some support from Toontrack 
who, when I launched my first edition, sent an email to their huge global database telling them that the magazine was there. Because, you know, it's one thing to produce a magazine, and I decided to do it online so it would be accessible to everyone. But it's another thing to tell people that it's there. And this was kind of before Facebook groups and all that sort of things. You know, we're talking 2010. So that was a pretty good kickstart, getting ToonTrack to send out an email to all of uh, their customers and potential customers. And that kind of got the magazine in front of enough people to start taking notice. And, you know, thankfully, since then, it's grown from edition to edition. I now have over 25,000 subscribers globally. And last month, we switched from a quarterly format to a monthly format. So between the quarterly magazines, we're now having a, a, a blog for those two months and then another magazine. So we're increasing the level of contact with the audience. And we'll be pumping out more stuff and hopefully being more timely because that's the other challenge with the quarterly. You know, when you're only producing a magazine every three months, there's a lot happening all the time and you miss some of that. So that's that's kind of how we got to where we are now. After you did all your research uh, about getting back into it, you know, we both use lots of different gear uh, from all different yep. makes and everything else. But just out of curiosity, what did you get? I started off with uh, a Roland TD3. Yeah. But I didn't keep that for very long. Okay. Because yeah, I mean it was it was a fantastic little package. It was a you know a small footprint. Uh, it had some good sounds, but I very quickly realised its limitations. So I upgraded from there. First, I upgraded all the pads to mesh head pads, and then I upgraded the module to a TD8. Yeah. And I kept that for a while, and then you know by the time. I'd had the TD8 for a few months, I suppose. I actually started the magazine, and then I was getting a constant stream of, of gear through the door. Yeah. So I started building a collection of modules, because if you've seen the magazine, you'll know we do things like we review third-party triggers or pads uh, with a variety of modules so that we can determine whether they work across the board. So I've continued to acquire modules, and now I have pretty much, uh, well, well, until recently, I had pretty much everything. Um, but unfortunately, this has been a year where there's a, a barrage of new modules coming out. So the, the, the bank balance is going to take a bit of a hit as I, um, as I tool up with all of those. But, you know, I have, I have a, an array of Roland modules. I have a couple of Yamaha modules. I have a two-box. I have some Alesis gear, an Infused. So, yeah, I've got... A pretty extensive collection at this stage. You said about getting back into drums having had a break, but was it to replace an acoustic kit or was it more that you just wanted something to play? Did you ever have the target of, right, I want to create something which could replace an acoustic drum kit? Well, when I got back into drumming, I, I hadn't had a drum kit for 30 years or more. Hmm. So there was actually no kit in the house. And, you know, living in suburbia, in a family home with children and um, you know, it, it was it would have been impossible to bring an acoustic kit home so and I think that's kind of one of the major drivers of the growth of electronic kits these days is so many people are living on top of their neighbors wanting to get back into drumming or wanting to start drumming and there really is no way of you know short of soundproofing your house there's there's no real way of doing it besides a silent solution so that that was the attraction for me i wasn't really interested in the technology per se i was interested in a tool that would allow me to drum without annoying the neighbors and the family okay and, and has it got to the point where you've hit something and gone do you know what that could replace an acoustic drum kit uh, look, there is some fantastic technology out there, 
and there are things which can do incredible stuff. But at the end of the day, there's there's something primal about you know hitting skin, and that and that is a very pleasing uh, sensation and experience. And it, it it's totally sensual. It's not just the sound. It's the feel. It's the moving air. So yeah, there's not a lot that can replace that. There's a lot that can augment it. There's a lot that can substitute under the right circumstances. And I have to say that since starting the magazine, most of the gigging that I've done has been with electronic gear, primarily because I do believe in reviewing stuff in the real world. Yeah. To get back, you know, the conversation we had off air about how reviews tend to be overly positive in the mainstream media, I, I do believe that you have to try stuff, you have to try it in the real world, you have to ignore the marketing stuff, you have to ignore the press release, immerse yourself in the product and see if it does what it's meant to do. And, you know, there have been some horror stories I've used, kick triggers that have absolutely smashed into pieces, um, two songs into a set. I've used an all-in-one rig, actually the prototype trap cat that died in the middle of a performance and luckily I had an acoustic snare in in my car so I was able to finish the whole gig with a single snare drum but you know you you really can't give honest opinions about about equipment uh, about anything without testing them in the real world so I do use everything that that I have either for practice or for performance it's it's kind of one of the crazy aspects of this this whole industry that that almost has come full circle if you go back to you know the heyday of the simmons kit yeah what was what was so appealing about it was that it was unique it made noises that you couldn't get out of anything else and the appeal was that here was a set of tools that enabled you to expand your musical palette um, and looked fantastic Mm. And where do we go from there? Well, we try to emulate acoustic drums in every way, you know, from the sounds to the way they look. Um, And I think now we're coming back to realizing that these tools actually enable you to do stuff that is just so much removed from merely trying to emulate or replicate acoustic noises. Yes. Uh, I would agree. There does feel a distinct move, definitely in the people who I talk to, away from the sort of more software-related things and more back towards hardware, which can do weird things. So I'm thinking of the Nord drums, stuff like that. Yep. Definitely been a move towards Nord drums and definitely been a move yes. towards modelled analogue drum sets. Analogue, yep. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Big yep. time, yep. big time. Or if, if you look at somebody like Michael Shack, you know, when he sits down behind a kit, he, he's not trying to sound like he's playing a DW kit. No. He's making noises that are uniquely electronic and he's built his whole career um, out of the unique sounds he's able to get out of the technology that he uses. Yeah. And that's why I, I you know I have enormous respect for him as an ambassador for electronic percussion because he's not there trying to make $25,000 rig sound like a $300 acoustic kit. Where do you see things at the moment? Do you, I mean, we just said about people moving back to some more sort of analog drum sounds and stuff like that. Do you see that as the start of a, a bigger movement or do you or do you think that's just a blip? I mean, because obviously lots of people are using an electronic kit in a studio, triggering Superior Drummer or Easy Drummer or BFD or something like that to record tracks with their bands. But do yep. you see there being a, a, a split or do you see it all being part of the same thing? Look, I think the market is kind of divided. You've got the low-end stuff uh which is you know mostly acoustic replacement so this is the kids who are starting out um this is 
middle-aged uh, people going through their midlife crisis starting to drum again, and, and all they want is something to hit and sound familiar. So those kind of low-end customers, I guess, will always be chasing acoustic sounds out of something that doesn't have any acoustic noise when you're just listening to it without the headphones. Yeah. Um, but then I think at the other end, you know, the professional end, for years, I think electronic percussion has been the kind of dirty secret. You know, we've seen bands on stage with huge acoustic kits, but underneath, you know, there were all kinds of triggers and they were playing loops and they were doing all this kind of stuff. And it was, it, it was kind of the dirty secret. Mm. Um, nobody wanted to fess up that they weren't making the noises that you were hearing through, through the front of the house and the PA. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's moved now. I think, you know, all the artists I speak to these days um, will say from the start that if you can't, if you don't have any experience and expertise in loops and triggering, then don't even think about being a performer these days. Yeah. So I, I think there is an acceptance that electronics in some form or another um, are going to be present on every performance stage that, that we're going to see. And, you know, as acoustics and, and reproduction improves and, and as the whole quality of sound in performance improves, the, the back end kind of the, the origination of the, of the sound has, has to come up to standard. And I think we're going to see um, increasing uptake of electronic percussion, you know, from the one extreme being the kind of analog noises, the, uh, you know, the, the, the funny Tom sounds that we would associate with Duran Duran and, and those kind of people, to the other end, which is kind of the, the Michael Shack um, thumping bass um, with 16 layers of different sounds packed into a sample that just shakes you out of your seat. You're listening to the eDrumInfo.com podcast with Simon Edgoose. Uh, with this whole thing about you know uh, analog sounds and everything else, I personally get the feeling that drummers are slightly scared by the whole computer thing, uh, the whole VSTI thing. I, I mean, it, it amazes me that I can do some demoing somewhere for a company, and then people come up afterwards and go, "What was that?" And I'll explain, you know, I'll show them, and they'll go, "Wow." That's amazing. I didn't know you could do that. And all I was doing was just triggering a VSTI or something like yeah. that. Yeah. I, I, do you think there is a, a natural reticence to get involved with, uh, with the computer side of stuff? Or do you think it is just um, the, it's not being promoted enough? I mean, you talked about ToonTrack. ToonTrack have got a product which, to all intents and purposes, totally could replace an acoustic drum kit on a, on a, on a recording. Yeah, absolutely. I think there are a couple of factors. One is ignorance. I think a lot of people are used to seeing the name brands in the music stores. So, you know, they're familiar with Roland, they're familiar with Yamaha. Um, they're not familiar with ToonTrack or, or any of the other VSTs. So ignorance is one thing. The other thing is the reluctance to actually start messing around with computers. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it is pretty intimidating. And, and, you know, I think, you know, you and I who've dabbled in this stuff um, kind of take it for granted. And, you know, we, we try to educate ourselves and push the boundaries. But the average drummer, I think, likes a box that they can. Well, I mean, let's go back to basics that, 
drumming is pretty much an, an analog art of just hitting stuff. So yeah. to get them from that to switching something on and plugging it in is quite a big leap in itself. Um, and then to go the next step of moving beyond something that looks like a drum kit and fiddling around with MIDI notes on your computer screen, that's just, you know, wacky way out there stuff. But yes, I mean, there is an intermediate level between that, which is, you know, triggering the VSTs using traditional pads. I, I think that it, it is a difficult thing to get your head around for the average drummer. I think the original DAWs were pretty intimidating. Um, it, it's all changed and it's all become so easy. And, you know, you now have um, the standalone versions of most of the, the big um, drum sample programs. And the other big call out, I guess, has to go to um, Apple and um, and their, their DAW solution, which logic is just, you know, so easy to use. And the way they've kind of incorporated the ease of use of GarageBand into something that's so much more sophisticated and, you know, allows you to kind of peel away levels like an onion. And if you want to just use it as a, as a stock solution, you just use it at, at the broadest base. But if you want to really dig in and tweak instruments, you can do all of that. So, you know, I think there are people who are becoming increasingly aware of what the opportunities are. And I think even the, the mainstream electronic drum companies are realizing that people want to get into samples, people want to load their own samples, people hear things, um, you know, that they want to reproduce. And, you know, there's a whole garage industry now, I guess, of producing um, samples for two-box modules with people putting cards in and doing all kinds of mods and then um, running third-party programs to convert their VST packs into um, two-box-ready samples. So, and, and the new generation, the Alesis Strike Pro, uh, apparently is going to have the ability to load VST samples in some form, and the new um, Pearl Mimic um, is going to have the same kind of capability. So I, I think that whole opportunity is going to open up and uh, people are going to be embracing it. Certainly, you know, professionals in the studio are already using it. Yes. You know, I've, I've spoken to big time US producers who tell me that they do most of their work now in a DAW, um, moving MIDI notes around on the screen. And yes, they have the ability to play them on a kit, but just the ease and the transportability of, of the data and that sort of stuff means that they can work in their apartment and work on 16 different albums for 16 different artists at the same time. And many of them are using kind of the most basic of, of VST programs and, you know, things like addictive drums, which is um, kind of looked down on, I guess, by people who see the, the myriad of um, tweaking opportunities that you have in something like Superior or, uh, or BFD. Um, and yet, if you listen to some, some top 10 tracks at the moment, there are addictive drum samples in that. Mm. I mean, I've got to say, I mean, I, I'm sitting here in front of a MacBook Pro, which is uh, fully loaded with everything from the Superior Drummer 2. And do you know what? I don't actually use it because most of the time, I, if it's something fast I need to do, I just go to Easy Drummer 2, which takes up no space and loads very quickly and responds to any electronic kit I can plug into it incredibly well. And also, I, I agree. I mean, I, I agree what you said about addictive drums. I mean, it, it sounds brilliant. Um, it doesn't have quite as many tweaks as other things but i've also been looking at their trigger software their drum replacement software brilliant 
absolutely yeah. brilliant it's phenomenal i mean the things you can do like you say things you can do now in your apartment with a pair of headphones and a macbook yeah. are what you know top producers would have spent six months doing yeah 10 years ago and then struggling to reproduce live i guess absolutely absolutely I and mean, it's just so easy to reproduce that now yeah continuing this do you think software is the way forward for drums or do you think there is always going to be that division between just in the box and using anything else oh, I, I think it's it's coming together I, I think there will be marriages of, of kind of hardware and software and we're already seeing a whole lot of things developing that, that are taking us on that path if you look at things like the first wireless triggers which I, I know you and I have both tried the Versa trigger so yep. here you have a wireless trigger that totally does away with the need for a module and you know goes straight into your computer and into the VSTs. So there's one example. That, that, that's just the way things are developing now. I think there will be many more kind of products with a foot in, in either camp, in both camps, uh, in neither camp. I think we're, we're just going to see technology being applied to the challenge of, of making noise. I don't know whether you're aware of, of App Trigger, which um, yeah. Chris Ryan has, has recently yeah. um, launched. Now, I've been playing with that, which is absolutely fantastic. Again, yes. here, is, here is a solution which takes um, impulses or sounds from a drum pad, from an acoustic drum, and in real time without going through MIDI replaces them with samples uh, and this is just you know a mind-boggling solution and having I was playing around with it and managed to do things like turn finger clicks into snare sounds which you know th this is just kind of rocket science for drummers yeah I, I know Chris I've been messing about with it probably at the same time as you. Yeah, it's brilliant. the The ability just with a laptop now is is just phenomenal. It's it's scary, and, and laptops are scary. I mean, as you discovered in your uh, in your podcast with John Atkinson, that yeah, there, there are issues about you know depending on a piece of technology like a laptop for your performance, and and that's one of, I think, one of the the barriers and obstacles to. Um, to the wider adoption of VSTs is that a lot of drummers have had bad experience with laptops on stage mm. and are very reluctant to, you know, to embrace them and to depend on them for their performance. And, and I'll take that one step further. My biggest disappointment, I guess, was to see um, the Alesis DM dock not take off because I, I honestly believe that, you know, we had all our concerns about the laptop, but the iPad is everywhere now it's it's you know omnipresent and the the processing power is is getting bigger and better um the, the storage and memory are getting bigger and better and i really like the idea of the dm dock for people who don't know about it it's an ipad powered module effectively you slide your ipad into this module you connect your pads it has um a, an, an associated app and you can play drums through your iPad. Now, I really believe that this was going to be the turning point and that we would see a plethora of products developed for the iPad, but you know that, that hasn't really happened. Although there are some fantastic apps, um, I'm playing with a couple at the moment, which the one is called Xdrummer, which yeah. basically applies almost artificial intelligence and creates beats, which is pretty nifty. And the other one that I'm playing with at the moment is called Drum Perfect, which has just fantastically rich samples. But the challenge is that you're tapping a, a tiny little 10-inch screen, mm. and you really want to be able to play a full drum kit but harness those kind of sound, sounds and, and, the, and that kind of processing. And 
you know, I, I think that's the big opportunity. I think somebody's going to crack it um, because Elisa stopped working on the DM doc and um, they've, they've done nothing on it for years and years and years. And so, you know, clearly that that's an opportunity. So I think any developers out there listening, um, give either of us a call. I'm sure you'd be equally enthusiastic. Absolutely. I mean, it's, I, when you were talking before, I was going to bring up the DM doc because I, I, I was in the same boat as you. Absolutely fantastic potential of that was amazing and it sounded great while you know okay there was issues but the issues were generally with the ipad um yep. and the latency and everything else and storage and usual sort of stuff but yep. now with a with a current ipad that would work really well the latency would be much lower the yep. uh, ability to stick lots of audio data out at one time would be yep. easy so yeah there is something and also i guess with uh inter app audio sharing yeah. you know there are whole opportunities opening up so I, I i still believe that the ipad will eventually replace the laptop yes but a couple of things have to happen i think to get us there you're listening to the eDrumInfo.com podcast making your experience with electronic drums that much easier okay talking of the the dm doc we always see each other at, at nam or wherever and what products have stuck with you over the years that you've thought yeah that's really good in terms of things that have really impressed me i think stuff like the dream trigger which debuted yeah. at, at, at nam is is pretty interesting so that's basically an external trigger pad with a so it it both senses what's happening on a drum and then also has an additional pad so giving you potentially um, a couple of samples, a couple of sounds uh, from a single drum and also has its own onboard samples and the ability to load your own. And it's a $300 solution or something. I, I think that's that's pretty interesting. Um, I'm impressed with uh, the Gen 16 cymbal range. Um, I, I think it's not perfect, but it's certainly an interesting marriage of acoustics and electronics. So I'm very impressed with alternate modes on heads, if you're not familiar with those, those are pads that sit on top of uh, an existing drum. A great surface, great triggering, great sensitivity. Unfortunately, you need some other bits um, to make that work. Uh, Versa trigger, I, I mentioned, I, I think that has huge potential, um, not just from the perspective of wireless drumming, which is just great. I mean, we all hate having to deal with the spaghetti of cables, but um, the ability to bypass a module and go straight into the computer. Interestingly, they've just um, released a new version of their hub which plugs into a module. So for those people who are intimidated by computers, they can still trigger their module sounds, but um, via MIDI and wirelessly. There's some interesting things at the moment, um, things like um, Keith McMullen Instruments Bob Pad. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's there's a lot of interesting stuff happening at the moment. What do you think is the biggest issue facing electronic drummers at the moment? Well, I'm not sure that electronic drums actually face an issue because if you look at shop floors, most retailers are now moving acoustics into smaller and smaller spaces as electronics take over. So yeah. there's growing market acceptance, um, I, especially at the low end. I think a lot of people are starting out their drumming journeys with, with an electronic kit, generally a cheap one. So I think there is market acceptance. I think there is huge opportunity. But there there are challenges, and probably one of the, the biggest ones would be acceptance. There's, there's still a stigma attached to electronic percussion, and there's 
almost a suggestion that when you're sitting behind an electronic kit, you're not really playing. The, the mm-hmm. kit is playing and you're just somehow, you know, switching it on. Um, so there is a lot of there is a lot of skepticism, and certainly if you've ever you know been an electronic drummer in a band, um, the first time you unveil your electronic kit, there's lots of suspicion and there's an expectation that it's a drum machine and you're just going to hit start and it's going to start playing patterns and loops. But I think as outsiders get to see the capability and the control that it gives you, you know, your ability to maintain your drumming energy but just turn the volume down which you clearly can't do with an acoustic kit um the ability to dial up sounds the ability to play loops i think people are are warming to the the reality but the notion that there's an electronic instrument there is is always going to be is continuing to be a challenge i don't know if it'll always be a challenge i guess you know people might have been having this conversation 40 years ago about guitars, um, you know, when these newfangled electric guitars came out. So, and yet now that's that's the mainstream. Okay, but maybe what maybe I, I angled the question wrong. I mean, it, <laughs> I get a lot of people contacting me w- with the same issues. And the, the, the issues are cross-triggering, sensitivity, all that sort of stuff. Do you think that is... Is that is something which needs to be taken more seriously by the companies, or do you think that that is uh, something which should be set correctly anyway, and hopefully people will just be able to sit down and play straight out of the box? Yeah, well, it's. Um, I mean, that's kind of like blaming the, the car companies for you know road accidents. Yeah, the, I agree. The, the, yeah. the reality is that pretty much all of these tools do what they're meant to do, yeah. and do it pretty well. Of course, when you sit down at a drum kit in a, in a music store, chances are that nobody's actually set it up properly. Mm. Chances are that the person before you has been messing around with parameters they have no understanding of. Mm. Um, and unfortunately, when, when you do get a, a kit home, and increasingly these days, as they become more complex and also as people get into mix and match, I mean, now you have companies like uh, ATV, which just sells module for now, and you have Pearl selling the Mimic Pro as a standalone, and people are going to have to connect various triggers that, and pads that they have lying around at home. You know, there is a necessity to have some understanding of, of the whole triggering process and the parameters and what they mean and, uh, you know, what mask time means and what sensitivity means, and they don't necessarily mean what you think they mean. No. Um, so there, there is a need to get your head around those concepts, and there is a need to refine the instrument. But I mean, just the same way as you wouldn't pick up a six string without tuning it, you know, electronic drums need to be tuned. They need to be tweaked. They need to be set up. I'm thinking of this from a, if you if were a keyboard player, if you were used to playing a, I don't know, a Roland Phantom, and then you bought a Nord you know, keyboard of some sort, you would naturally have to learn a different way of going about stuff. Yeah. I find that personally, I don't know if it's me being harsh on drummers, but that drummers are less inclined to actually sit down and learn how something works. I think that's true. And, that, and I think that's all part of the kind of primal drumming yeah. thing where you just sit down behind stuff and start hitting it. Yeah. And so, so to distance yourself from that and realize that this is an instrument. I mean, even look at acoustic kits and how few amateur drummers and sometimes even professionals know how to or bother to tune their, their drums. True. 
Um, so yeah, look, I, I think it's it's something much more pervasive than just an issue that's facing electronic percussion. Mm. But yes, it is so much worse because you have crosstalk, you have latency, you you have poor triggering, and you know that you have fabulous instruments that potentially can sound absolutely wonderful, and that they sound like crap mm. um, in in the wrong hands. Yeah. Absolutely. We've sort of covered a bit of this anyway, but where do you see it all going? Where do you see it in five years? Where do you see it in 10 years? What's the general direction, not only with e-drums, but obviously the whole hybrid thing? I'm not talking about whether you are privy to information about stuff which might be coming out, because obviously we won't put that in. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, do you see there being a big move, or do you still see it being electronic and acoustic and never the twain shall meet for a lot of drummers, for most drummers? Mm, I I think hybrid is definitely a trend. I I think we're definitely going to see ways of putting more sounds onto kits, and and that might mean putting aux triggers and, and other devices uh, or other triggering approaches onto acoustic kits. You know, maybe, maybe things like app trigger or sensory percussion or all those kind of pads that allow you to play acoustic but also enhance the sound. I think there are there are obviously some entrenched technologies and some entrenched players, um, you know, Roland is an electronic drum company. I, I can't see them venturing out into acoustics. Um, I can see them kind of pushing their products into more and more ranges the way they did with uh, the electronic on. Yamaha, on the other hand, has you know two big forces. It, it, it makes acoustic drums, it makes electronic drums, and I suspect that you know, they're such established brands in and of themselves that it's hard to get those two to meet. So there, there are kind of structural reasons why the electronic drum companies will carry on making electronics and the acoustics will carry on doing what they're doing. Although increasingly they're being, you know, they're being lured into the electronic market because the customers are going there. So we've seen DW almost by default getting into electronics um, through its acquisition of, of Gretsch and, and the Cat brand. So they realize that to grow the market, they do have to embrace electronics, but not necessarily by putting electronics into their acoustic kits. It it will have to come together. But, you know, I I think the interesting thing in all of this is the kind of stuff that comes out of left field that none of us expect. And it's becoming easier and easier for that stuff to actually make it into the mainstream because of things like Kickstarter. In the past, you had to be established to actually get a product to market. Now, you can get out there and sell a product before you've even built it. And and even better, you can get all the money up front almost. So I think, you know, people are going to reconsider what we need to do and, and, you know, the way this is going and come up with solutions that appeal to a market and attract a market. And they'll be able to develop something that that addresses it without necessarily having to already have a production facility and having marketing and sales and research and development. So, so yeah, the, the scary thing is that I don't think any of us knows what electronic percussion is going to look like in five years' time, and certainly not in 10 years' time. But, but some of the things that I would expect to see there is the iPad, or whatever the next incarnation of the mobile computing device is. Um, I I think there has to be a move to a a more mobile platform. We probably would never have taken a desktop computer on stage. Um, The laptop was almost a a compromise, but these, these devices that are designed to be quick and agile and portable and mobile are certainly going to have the capability of providing the 
the programming and processing grunt that electronic percussion needs. Um, I think we'll find more and more ways of, of sampling and more and more ways of sharing sampling because that's the other thing that we're seeing now is this whole kind of sharing economy. And I'm not talking about Uber and, and Airbnb, but communities of people getting together and, and, and sharing content and sharing ideas. And, um, you know, I can see people just for the fun of it recording their own samples and then you know j just to get their samples out there for the pride of knowing somebody else is using them putting them into a, a kind of pool where anybody can grab them if they want them okay so to finish with what's next for digital drummer well i probably should say that um digital drummer remains a free publication largely there, there is a subscription option and those people get the ability to read the magazine a couple of weeks early and also to download it significantly easier but it remains a free publication and anybody can hop on the website and subscribe we don't bombard you with emails the only emails you'll ever get from us are to tell you that a new edition is live there's as i say there's no cost there's no obligation um, and we just want to kind of grow the community because i think it's important that there are alternatives out there i think People need to be able to see independent analysis and reviews. And uh, although we, we do have advertising and clearly not enough of it, we are not one of those publications where you'll see an ad opposite a review. Uh, we've reviewed products that have never advertised. We've done negative reviews of products that have advertised. At the end of the day, if, if I'm not honest and open and telling it as it is, then I'm very quickly going to lose my audience and without an audience there's no publication and without a publication there's kind of no point to advertise anyway so you know i think you know there are very few reasonable voices out there you certainly are one of them thank you there are a couple of facebook groups that, that have some credibility um but you know people do need to be very aware of what the motivations are behind a lot of the stuff that they see and they read and it's 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 always good to have some independence and and also some knowledge. You know, as I said, we've got pretty much you know every module that was available until the beginning of the year, and, and I'll soon have the current crop of modules as well. So I know what they work with, I know what they don't work with, I know what what's good about them, what's bad about them, and you know, happy to share that both in the magazine and offline. People email me all the time with questions. And I have no problem, you know, recommending stuff. I have no problem giving honest opinions about stuff. And, you know, just as you, although we all have kind of commercial interests and we work with people and we work for people, at the end of the day, you know, your credibility and your honesty are the only things that uh, are going to survive everything else. And, um, you know, we, I think we just tell it as it is and we carry on doing that. Brilliant. <laughs> you said everything. Thank you. You're listening to the eDrumInfo.com podcast. Making your experience with electronic drums that much easier. Go to www.edruminfo.com for more.